0: Good evening, everyone. My name is Pastor Scott. I'm a pastor of Bethany Community Church at North, and it's a real honor to be with you tonight uh, to dig into this text from Luke. It's a very parallel passage to Mark 6 as well, but we'll be teaching it out of Luke tonight. So I hope you brought your Bibles. We're going to be using it. And as always with this series, uh, this, it can be a challenge at times teaching from the words of Christ because many of us have heard these stories before, and we may be tempted to think, I kind of know how this story ends. But my challenge for you this evening here in Encounters with Christ, week four, is to put yourself in the story and to hear from the Spirit to hear tonight about freedom, about deliverance, and about changing uh, your perspective because of learning from storms. Our title tonight is called Learning from Storms. We dig in the the gospel of Luke. Let me say a prayer, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Lord God, thank you so much for for this church, for its meeting in six different locations, thank you for this location of Green Lake and its faithful witness of a teaching from your word for 100 years. Thank you for the people that are here this evening and watching online. Lord God, would your spirit fall and be present and remind us, Lord, that in the midst of the storms, you have something for us to learn. We have a way to be set free and a mission to receive from you. Lord God, we, we want to hear that mission again this evening. In your name we pray. Amen. Learning from storms, Luke 8, verse 26. I've got a question for you at the front end. Have you ever been in a ton of pain and nobody around you knew it? Have you ever been going through something and, and nobody around you knew it? I mean, simple answer Cliff notes, of course. Like most of the time, We go through things and and people don't really know the pain that we're under, right? Like, physically, spiritually, emotionally, like there's just a natural, like we go through the world, and many times, people are unaware of the pain that's inside, I had this happen about five years ago, uh, it was a very chaotic time of my life, we had just uh, had our fourth child, my wife had our fourth child, and, and it was a Saturday morning, and Saturday is soccer morning in my house, and I've got a boy, you know, two boys and two girls, and I coached the older boy, and you know, mama was breastfeeding the baby, and there's a three-year-old wandering around somewhere. Has anyone seen the three-year-old? And, you know, I run into the bedroom to help with my wife, and I've got to get back to the field of the team I'm coaching. And as I run around the bed, I kick something, and my toe lights up with, if, like, pain is registered on one to ten, this was like a 27. Like, it was out there. Like, it hurt so much. And to my great chagrin, I look down on the floor, and there's ten perfectly aligned sewing needles, and the 11th seems to be broken in half kind of an interesting thing to register with. You head. pain in toe, half a needle, 10 others. And then there's the three-year-old. She waddles around. She said, Papa, I arranged all of mama's sewing needles on the carpet for you. Aren't you happy? <laughs> no. I mean, yes. Oh, my gosh. There is a sewing needle inside my big toe. It's not, it's so far in my toe, the half, and I kicked it so hard, it's not even bleeding. Like, it's just in there. And what do you do when half a sewing needle? Like, they don't tell you this in grad school. Like, <laughs> what do you do with a sewing needle in your toe so life needed to go on i put a shoe on i went down to the soccer field hobble around these 7 year old boys i was coaching they didn't know the great pain i was under they didn't care there's a there's a soccer game to 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 engage in you know and, and we go through the day the next day church happened and, and i knew the surgery center wasn't going to be open till monday and i'm still kind of in denial because i'm norwegian which means i'm not supposed to actually feel pain so i'm like maybe it's not in there you know maybe every time i take a pain i could feel like, i think it's it's still in there, you know, so Sunday, go to church, preach a message, like, and I kind of, you know, would tell people, like, oh, hey, how's it going? Well, I've got this, I've got this needle in my toe, like, huh, okay, cool, yeah, I mean, they don't get it, like, people don't see the pain, right, so I go to the doctor Monday, they, they x-ray this thing, like, sure enough, there's a needle in your toe, what do you want to do with it? I want it out of there. Like, it's a pretty simple, like, we're not going to really kind of be theoretical about it. Like, there's something in here. It needs to go. So this is just my local doctor. They numbed it with a local anesthetic. they're, like, digging and pulling and prodding. Like, yeah, sorry, we can't get it. You're going to need to schedule surgery in two days as soon as we can get you in. So for two days, I'm limping around and feeling like nobody really gets what's going on inside. Like, you know, how does the story end? They get the needle, I, you know, I heal. Like, but how often is that really our, our story physically, right? Certainly physically. I'm in my 40s now, which means I've hit the age where everything hurts. Like I go to a birthday party, we're in purple having a, a celebratory drink for my buddy and we're all like stretching because our hips hurt and like our bodies are breaking down. Like physically, stuff's going on, people can't see, it hurts. Like emotionally, like how often? Do we carry things inside? And we may kind of try to bring people into it, but at the end of the day, if you're like me, you're like, they don't really get it. And spiritually, certainly, there are times in our life with Christ where we will hurt, we will struggle, we will feel broken, we will feel disconnected, we will we will hunger for a different reality. And oftentimes, we have to deal with the dissonance between where we're at and where God is calling us. And it is easy to feel like. The world doesn't necessarily see the storm within. When we turn to the gospel story tonight, when we look at Luke 8, this is a continuation of last week's message. It's the same time frame. When Jesus healed the storm in Luke 8, the beginning of the chapter, that pericope that was taught last week, it's the same story. That Jesus heals the storm outside and then they sail on to the land of the Gerasenes on the eastern side of Galilee to heal the storms of this man on the inside. And, I, and I'm firmly, firmly a believer that when Jesus meets with us, he, he, he doesn't long just to kind of name our pain and keep us enslaved with it. He, he wants to set us free. He wants to set us free. And there is a narrative in culture today, and certainly at times in the church, that just says, you know, I need to accommodate my brokenness, accommodate places where I'm kind of, you know, far from Christ, accommodate the storms within, because, you know, I've called out to God, and I've, you know, I haven't felt healing there, so I'm just going to kind of tune out. And, and we hear Jesus in Luke 8 saying, come out of this person, be healed, don't be enslaved anymore. And tonight, I'm going to keep it really simple. Then in the text, I'm just going to look here at Luke 8, the end of Luke 8. I hope you brought your Bibles, like I said, because there's three kind of words we're going to key in, that Jesus in the text, Jesus meets the man, and Jesus frees the man, and Jesus sends the man. And in this very simple cycle of being met and being freed and being sent, we find ourselves in the story. This is our story Let's start here at the beginning here, where Jesus Jesus meets. Really simple outline, Jesus meets. What's happening at the beginning of, of the, the story? Jesus meets. Now, and when we, when we teach the Gospels, the setting is so important. Because what's happening in the setting will tell us a lot about Jesus' intent. And when you open Luke 8 and you look at at verse 26, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And you might think, huh, interesting. It's super interesting and here's why. Because the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee was, was where nobody went. For practicing Jews on the western side of Galilee, the eastern side, the, the Decapolis, the ten Greek cities, man, that was, that was no one goes there. It's unsafe. They, they were settled by Greek settlers that were trying to bring these ideas of Hellenism and rationalism and the Greek gods into the Middle East. So they were, they were Greek cities, ten cities, the Decapolis, sprinkled on the eastern side of Sea of Galilee, if you kind of have a mental picture of that. They're unsafe for a common Jew. They were now under Roman control because, of course, in the first century, Rome had conquered all of, kind of you know, the Mediterranean area. So there's Roman authority, Greek influence, but nobody that's Jewish would be over there. No one. And in fact, in the entire Gospels, there's only three times that Jesus himself is in the Decapolis, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. There's this story, which shows up in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and there's the story in, in Mark where, where Jesus puts his hands in the man's, the, the deaf mute, where Jesus heals him and kind of invades his personal space. And then, that, and then in Mark, Jesus feeds the 4,000. So he's only on this side of the Galilee th- three times. And when you read, like, well, well, no wonder, like, a Jewish person wouldn't go over there. The man lives in the graveyard, any practicing Jew would know there's no good thing to come out of the graveyard. They were forbidden by Levitical law to go to anywhere where a dead person would be. And, and there's pigs being farmed. If you're an Orthodox, God-loving Jew, you would, you would never be around pigs being farmed. They were off limits. So the pigs, the graveyard, the, the man I- I- enslaved by, by demons, all of this would just say, yeah, that's why you just stay away. But when Jesus goes to this place, he goes there on purpose, and he counters the man. Now, I don't know what Bible you're reading, but the, the man is, in the NIV, it says he's demon possessed. The actual Greek that was used here is pneuma akathardos, which means pneuma, spirit, akathardos, impure, spirit impure. And, and why it matters is because different Bible translations uh, you know, teach it different ways. In the message, he's called a madman. Uh, the impure spirit, NIV, the RSV calls him an unclean spirit. The New Living calls him a man possessed by evil, evil spirit. Uh, here's the point. The, the man is, is broken. He, he's he, he's He's chained. Like he's literally been, in Luke it says that people have been trying to chain him and he's been breaking it, but he's, he, he's, he, he's carrying around these remnants of chains. And, and is this story about demon possession? It is, it is. There is a battle for your spirit that you can't see with your flesh and blood. And I know we don't talk about that a lot in Seattle, and I know we don't talk about it oftentimes even at Bethany, but the truth of the gospel is that there is a battle being waged for your soul in the spiritual realm. And if you're, if you're just like, you know, I don't, I don't really, I'm not comfortable with that, then there's a lot in this story that's kind of an affront to you. The man is possessed by an impure spirit. He is. He says, I'm legion, I'm possessed by many spirits. He's not just having a bad day. He's not just like, as some commentator said, well, he's, you know, he's depressed or some sort of, you know, no, he's actually possessed by demons. It's about that. And yeah, that's happening in the world around us. And there are storms you will face that you may need to call out against and name the spiritual authorities that are trying to press you. And this is where spiritual journey here at Green Lake, Pastor Phil, other pastors that can walk with you in seasons, like, I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm, you hear the language, I'm under attack. It's, it's real. But there's also another layer to the story that for many of us are like, well, you know, I'm good on demon possession because I'm in Christ, so I, I can't be possessed by demon. I'm, I'm covered by the blood of Christ, I'm good. There's another layer to the story that the fact of the matter is, is, is this man is isolated He lives alone in the cemetery. In the Gospel of Mark, it says he's been cutting himself. So he's clearly possessed by demons, but he's clearly, he's alienated alone. He's cut off from the goodness of God. And anything that that is cutting you off from from God's image in your life, anything stealing your joy, stealing that that remembrance that I'm a child of God, that I am a follower of a high king, anything that is is cutting that life cycle off from you is a chain, is a shackle, is something that's stealing from you. And this is where all of us can find ourselves in the story. Because if I say, is there pain within that nobody sees, you may find yourself in the story. If I say there are things that are shackling you, that are cutting you off from God's goodness, that if you've used to accommodate any kind of internal pain, you may find yourself in this story. The fact of the matter is, is that anything that's, that's shackling us from God's goodness is a chain. And Jesus came to set us free. He, he longs to meet us. And I was reflecting when, you know, kind of um, thinking about chains for a lot of us, it's like, you know... Like, this man has been breaking chains. People have been trying to chain him for his own good, but we're gonna use this motif of chains as anything shackling us from the goodness of God in our life. And for, for a lot of you, like me, like, you might just think, well, you know, it's, they're, they're not a big deal. It's a little bit of, you know, extra drinking on the weekends to cope with stress at work. It's a little bit of, of weed right now. It's a recreational, hey, it's, it's legal. I drive Aurora every day. It's not a big deal. It's a little bit of a relationship you know, you know, kind of privileges I've taken I know are outside of God's goodness. It's a little bit of uh, unethical practice. It's, it's not a big deal. I got this. It's a little chain. I got it. I got it. Even in the life of Christ, I got it. A little bit. You know, we can even like, kind of wear it as like a beauty accessory at times. Like, not a big deal. It's not shackling me. I'm fine. I'm fine. The fact of the matter is, is, is that sin could come into our life and, and steal from us and enslave us and keep us shackled, and in that way, the chains that we carry around are really quite significant. They, they really can, can add up in a while, and we, we start to, in our journey, we start to think, you know, I'm, I'm fine, I've got this. It's a little bit of, you know, it's, it's, I know it, it's, it's a little bit of sin, it's a little bit of a chain, I know it's not really what God has for me right now, but, you know, it's good, I'm I'm fine. And then as time goes on, you know, it's like we start to take more and more steps to deal with this pain inside, the, the brokenness and, and the dissonance and, and the discouragement. And we can find ourselves, if we're not careful, in the life of faith, we can feel absolutely shackled. And I, I, I got to tell you, friends, if you're carrying around chains of sin and places that God says there's no life in it. you're living in, in, in the graveyard, man, you can, you can get around like this for a while, but it's so tiresome. The fact of the matter is, is that there's a warning that comes to us in this text that the chains that enslave us and keep us far from God's image in us, Jesus wants to name and call out. And he says here in the story, come out of this man. Be done with it. C.S. Lewis says in Screwtape later, as, you know, as the two demons are kind of you know, corroborating how to lead Christians a- a- away from the goodness of God, one demon says the other, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts, with chains. With chains. And this man in this story becomes kind of a hero to me this evening because he just wants to meet Jesus, He wants to meet Jesus, and when Jesus sees him from far away off, Jesus is ready to meet him too. He's ready to meet him. Now, why does this matter? The text says meet. Jesus meets him. The man's coming. The man's hungry for something. He knows these chains that he's living under, this enslavement, this isolation. He knows this is no way to live and says that Jesus meets him. And there's this narrative oftentimes in the life of faith that we may believe a lie. That Jesus doesn't want to meet with you until you're all cleaned up. That Jesus doesn't want to meet with you until the chains are all gone. That Jesus doesn't want to meet with you until you're the fully sanitized version of yourself, the best version of yourself. That's who Jesus wants to meet with. And it's not true. And it's nowhere in this gospel message because this man, bleeding from his arms, as Mark says, living in the tombs, half of his mind, Jesus meets him head on and knows him, and and each one of the gospel stories that tell this version, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all use the same word of met, hypnatao, it means to meet face to face, and you know what's interesting? That same word, to meet face to face, is what what Martha, uh, the word that Martha uses when she goes to visit with Jesus once her brother has died, because when you hurt, and there's storms within, and there's pain that nobody can see. We can often either check out, or we can meet with Jesus. And when Martha, her brothers died, she heard Jesus is coming down. What does it say? It says, he hypnotized. She went to meet Jesus face to face. And in her pain, she says, Jesus, if you would have been here, he would have lived. Jesus, if you would have been here, I wouldn't have this chain of brokenness in my life. Jesus, if you would have been here, I wouldn't be alone. And we have to kill this narrative that Jesus only meets with us on our best days, on our best days. It's not in the story. He meets this man where he's at. We're gonna get to what Jesus wants for us in the meeting, but never forget, he wants to meet with you tonight and tomorrow and Wednesday and Friday afternoon and meet with you again and again and again to meet you face to face, even if you're under a great deal of pain right now. And even if there are storms within that nobody sees, Jesus wants to meet with you. He wants to meet with you. He wants to meet with you. One of the great freedoms for me when we lost a child nine years ago is that somebody said, you can worship even while you mourn. That was an affront to me. We lost a fully formed baby at nine months. It's a big, huge, horrible story. That's kind of my story of the pain within Because for about six months after, I was doing everything I could to hold on to my grieving wife as she was descending into all sorts of pain, and to care for my toddler kids as they were into all sorts of their own mourning, and I was kind of rushing around trying to kind of calm everybody else's storms. But I remembered what this person said, that we can meet with Jesus even while we mourn. And this person had the audacity to send us a worship song when we were grieving the loss of our child. And it was one of the most helpful things for me because I would, you know, kind of calm the storms everyone else and kind of just, you know, and then I'd get in my car and I would drive and I would scream and I would meet with Jesus in my pain and in my anger and in my sadness and in my frustration and he never departed from me. And so we've got to prepare ourselves in any kind of storm to meet with Jesus. It's in the text. He wants to meet with you. But know this, church. He always wants to meet with us in order to free us. He wants to meet to free. It's what comes through this text. It's the second point of an outline I'm using tonight. You don't even have it in front of you. You don't need it. Jesus meets in order to free. He always meets in order to free. So he says to the man, this man, you know, plagued with many demons, he says, you know, come out of this man. And then look what happens in verse 35 and 36 of of the story in Luke 8, that when the man is delivered, the people have fear. When the people return and they see the man sitting at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed, Mark says, Luke says, you know, back in his right mind, this is what they all wanted, They've been trying to subdue the crazy man, these rational Greeks on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee under Roman control, non Jewish. But, you know, they've been trying their best to kind of lead this man to healing. And Jesus frees him, and the people freak out. The pigs are dead. The outsider is healed. There's too much disruption to the calm and the reality they've created. And they said, Jesus must go. This passage in Luke 8, in this piece specifically, it should scare the heck out of us. It should absolutely scare the heck out of us because Seattle is very much like the land of the Gaiasians, and we are very much committed to our logic and our rationale, uh, reason, and you know we, we're trying to help in any situation we find ourselves. And then Jesus shows up, and they can't handle the new reality that Jesus came to set it free. How could reasonable, logical, word-loving Greeks send Jesus away? Because fear is the reaction to cling to our old identity. of the new identity in Christ. And if we're not careful, church, this is our story. This is our story. We can become addicted to our comfortable lives. And the transformation and the repentance that Jesus is calling us into as we enter the full life of Christ, we can become numb to it. And so these Greeks, they see the transformation and they literally ask Jesus to leave. They were literally, verse 35, they were afraid when Jesus changes the man. It's crazy, but it's true because fear often gets evoked in us when Jesus is calling us to be freed of the stuff we're carrying around in the chains. We become really good at carrying our stuff around and hiding the pain within and hiding from the storms that are raging. And Jesus meets with us as we are in order to set us free. And he knows that change is uncomfortable. That's what, that's what the man says. He's like, don't hurt me, Jesus. We're scared The change is going to hurt. But notice something really, really powerful here. Jesus said to be freed isn't a matter of emptying, but of filling, Now, this is really, really, really helpful. If you're like me and I was raised in the church, that a lot of times we teach a gospel of sin management and that being freed from demons is the absence of bad behavior. We kind of teach this, that if you don't do bad things, then you'll be closer to the fullness of Christ. But Jesus says, no, be full of the Holy Spirit. Sit at the feet of Jesus, and when you do, that is the fullness that you can live into. Jesus t- teaches this amazing story in Luke 11, where he's kind of teaching about demons. In Luke 11, verse 24, you can just write it down and study it this week on your own. But let me read it for you. In Luke 11, verse 24, Jesus teaches: When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places, goes through deserts, seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, "I will return to the house I left." When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. And then the demon goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and they. Live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. The point of the text isn't demon management or sin management or trying not to do bad things. Now, Jesus says this person that's delivered in Luke 11, they can sweep the house. They can say, you know, I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and try a little bit harder to be less enslaved by sin. The point is only, only empty places hungry for filling by the Holy Spirit are fully immune to the dangers of being possessed here. And so be full of Christ. Be full of Christ. And remember your new identity. It, being a believer, yes, there are, be, there are behaviors that can enslave us, but Jesus here is, is looking at this man, a case study, who's sitting at his feet, and he's just filling him with his love and filling him with a new identity and filling him with a reminder that he is whole because of Jesus says who he is. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. We are therefore, verse 20, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like, this is amazing. As a follower of God, we become righteousness we become full of Jesus. We become able to live into a new identity that my life in Christ isn't trying to not do the bad things, but my life in Christ is trying to be remembering that I'm full of his spirit. I've got a new name and a new identity. Lord Jesus, may your spirit cover me. This isn't about sin management. It's being being full of your spirit and having intimacy Jesus with you. That's where it is. My Bible professor in college, a guy named Dale Bruner, he you know, gets so excited. He says, the deepest longing of every living being is to live and find fullness in Christ. So be full of the presence of God and not just the absence of bad behavior. We're looking at our church. We're looking for a new children's ministry director We've got a family ministry director. We're looking for a new person for the team, and our director's gone, so I made some calls. I'm calling these children ministry workers on the phone. And when I call them, I'm not looking for the absence of bad behavior. I'm looking for the presence of something more. Call, you know, tell me about your, your criminal history. Have you, ever, have you ever shivved a person? no. Have you ever operated heavy equipment under sedatives? No? No, have you? Okay, you're good. Yeah, there's no bad behavior. No, no, I'm like, hey, tell me about your heart. Tell me why you believe the children of our church are the hope and glory of the next generation. Tell me what it means to you to disciple. Like, tell me what what is filling you. That's, That's the story. What fills you? And I don't know about you, but for me, I was raised in the church and I tried sin management. I tried. I tried not to do bad things. I tried not to have premarital sex. I tried not to drink. I tried not to do drugs. I tried not to do these things in order to get this freedom in Christ. And it left me empty, empty, until I went to a young life camp and heard a speaker give a gospel invitation about the glory of God that would live in me. And I, and I got on my knees and asked Jesus in my heart, and the spirit fell, and I was changed in a moment. Do you get it? Full of the spirit. Fullness, not emptiness. So be free, says Jesus. I want to meet with you to free you, not to try to do sin management, chain management. No, I want to I free you and fill you with the spirit. I want to free you. This man sitting at his feet He must receive such a dose of the Holy Spirit there with Christ. He was transformed in a minute. And then finally, Jesus sends him. He sends him. He sends him on a new mission. Now this is where this story is really powerful for me and and maybe it will be for you because we're in this story I've already told you that Jesus wants to meet with you, not as you might be, but as you are. I've already, I've already labeled the sin of, a, of some sort of you know, liberal mindset that says that we can't be transformed. No, Jesus is always coming to name and call out and to, to say, I want you to be free from any chains that are holding you back. And then Jesus says, in, in my new mission, I want you to be part of my team. I've got a mission for you, because there's many other people. that Jesus is probably looking around the ge- land of the Gerasenes, these 10 cities, like, man, we're... we're we're out here in the wild west, I'm gonna need you to be on my team. Jesus sends him. Look at verse 38 and 39 of Luke 8, of his man's new mission. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home, return home, and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus sends him. Now this is Beautiful imagery that the man that's been healed, I mean, he goes from madman to like, hey, let me ride in the boat with you. Like, this is kind of, I mean, it's amazing. There's so much detail. And when you, when you study it in Mark, it's really interesting because Mark is very short and efficient with his language. But in this story, Mark tells the whole story. He's like, this story is so crazy how Jesus wants to heal the storms within. I'm going to tell you every detail. And so the man is transformed. He didn't even have a name before. He was just legion. Let's call him Daryl because the man has like been changed. And, and Daryl's like, can I get in the boat with you? I want to ride with you, Jesus. I want to go with you. That's like, oh man, that's, that's touching. That'd be a neat scene for a movie. It's, it's beautiful. But Jesus says no. Jesus says no. Now that's, that's kind of interesting. That's. Kind of challenging. And when we, when we studied it with all the lead pastors this week, that's troubling. The, remember, the demons ask for Jesus not to send him into the abyss, but to be put in pigs. Jesus says, yes. The people asked Jesus to leave town, even though Jesus just got there. He said, yes. The man, Daryl, says, can I ride in the boat with you? Like, we're best buddies now, Jesus. Like, let me go with you. And Jesus says, No. Why does Jesus say no sometimes when you so clearly know what you want from your relationship with him? Why does he say no? Why does he say no in this text? Well, I I think I have a bit of an answer in just a moment, but I I don't want to just gloss over this because some of you in this room right now, some of you are sitting under a big no. Some of you are in life right now and you're, you're dealing with a no, a no in a relationship I know in your vocation, I know in your spiritual life, I know in your family life. I'm not your pastor, so I don't have the privilege of knowing your stories, but I know in a room this size, I know that some of you are really dealing with no and asking this question, why does Jesus say no sometimes? I'm sorry for that, I really am. But I want to encourage you that there's learning from the storms, And there are things for you to get, even in this season of no, where Jesus says, I've got something for you down the road, and I know it hurts, and I know you don't understand, but can you trust me in the no? Can you trust me? The story ends, the man goes and does trust Jesus with something else. But it's amazing. The first missionary in in the Gospel of Luke, it's not one of the disciples, it's not one of the seventy. It's not somebody from one of the seminaries. They said there's up to 30 seminaries in ancient Jerusalem. No, no, the the first missionary in this gospel is Daryl, the guy that had the demons cast out. It's amazing. What a turn of events. And, And here's what I think is interesting, that Jesus will sometimes say no because he's getting ready to say a bigger yes for you. He's getting ready to give you a bigger yes, a bigger mission a bigger influence, a bigger impact into your relationships. He does it with this man. He's like, I know what you want. You want to get in the boat with me, but I know what you need. You need to go home because transformation has to be seen with the people that know you best. And I know we worry right now a lot about our Facebook feeds. We worry about trying to do good to social organizations around the world. We try to want to to make an impact in South Central. Like, it's all good, But let's not miss the point. If your transformation, if you're you're meeting with Jesus and you're being freed by him isn't sending you back into your home and the people around you don't say, man, there's something going on in your life, then everything else can just be white noise. Jesus is sending us on a mission, return home, says the text, and tell how much God has done for you. Go home, Daryl, because I've I've got a plan for you. And I know you, you want to get in my boat right now, and it's a little confusing because you often, as humans, we think we know what Jesus should do next. Do you struggle with that at all? Or just me, like, oh yeah, Jesus, do this. Do, like, I mean, I could, be, I could script my whole life of faith. And when Jesus says no, it hurts like heck sometimes. But there's something to learn in the midst of the storm. There's something to be gained in the know. How do we, how do we know that? How do we know that? Now this... The text doesn't say this, but this is interesting. I want you to stay with me here. So the man goes home and tells everyone what Jesus had done. It says in the Gospel of Mark, it says the people were amazed. So he, 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 he lives in the know and receives this new yes and goes on mission. He does it. The next time Jesus is in this region, remember three times, there's no interlap between ancient Israel and the Decapolis, the Greek pig farmers under Roman control, like there's just no interplay. But when Jesus shows up, when Jesus shows up in Mark 8, there's 4,000 people that want to be fed by Jesus, there's 4,000 people in the gospel of Mark that show up in the land of the Gerasenes to hear about Jesus. How do they know? How do they know, you might ask yourself. I don't, I, I don't really know. We don't, we don't really know what happened to Daryl. It says that people were amazed. It says that he went home. It says that he took this new mission. It says that he's been sent by cross. But you want know to you know what I think? You know what I, what I think? I think Daryl was so transformed with his new mission of Christ. I think he's so alive by the Spirit, so full, that I think people were like, man, whatever he got to experience, I want to hunger for. And I don't know that for sure, but I do know that when we receive this mission to be a blessing into our schools, to be a blessing into our homes, to be a blessing with our children, our roommates, with people we're dating when we say, you know, I'm not just gonna practice an old Christianity of sin management. I wanna be so full of the Holy Spirit. I wanna be freed from the chains. I'm tired of accommodation. Jesus, set me free in order to follow you. I know when we practice a faith like that, the world wakes up and says, yeah, I'm hungry too. And can you even imagine What that homecoming might be like when Jesus came into the land of Gerasenes. There's all those thousands of people. Can you imagine Daryl fighting through the crowd? It's you, it's Jesus, you set me free. Paul says in one of his letters, he says, now we see through a glass darkly, but then, then, then we'll see face to face. We'll meet him face to face. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you will have a homecoming too. I'm not even trying to preach right now about what heaven's like, but I will promise you this. We will meet him face to face. I hope that the people that have gone before us will be there too. I hope my son is there. And I hope anyway, I, I just want to meet you, Jesus, face to face. And I want to be able to say, Jesus, I, you know, I, I, I was freed from, from the chains because your spirit in me. And I, I, I try to just live in such a way to, to be sent on a mission back into my home Thank you, Jesus, for filling me. I want Jesus just to like, (sighs) you see me face to face. I want to meet with you. I want to so free you. I do. I want to send you on a mission that everyone would be amazed at Jesus' power in your life. Of course, you're not there yet. The glass is still dark. And I know, like I said, there's people in this room that are dealing with chains tonight. And there's people in this room that are laboring under a large snow. May the spirit of God fill you. May Jesus be meeting you as you're sitting at his feet and may you be freed in order to follow him so that the world would be amazed at what Jesus has done in you. May that be your story. May you be the Daryl and the Darylinas of this city. Could I pray for you now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this great story and this text and the way in which that this is our story that we know that for many of us, Lord, we've been chained by things. We've been in places of isolation. We've faced these internal storms that maybe people around us don't know. And Lord God, we pray that your spirit would be present even this evening in people's lives. We pray that for people that are under great pain and in great storms, Lord, you, that you would calm them, that you would free them, that you would, you would teach them, even in this se- season of storminess, that your peace endures. And that you long to give us a new future, Lord, where we're, where we're transformed, so full and so mindful of our new identity in you that we're not striving anymore. We're just receiving this new identity and mindful we've been set free to follow. Lord Jesus, thank you that there'll be a meeting face-to-face and and that, uh, that at some point, Lord God, that we'll be with you again. And while we wait, teach us to learn from each storm we face or free us. We beg and pray. In your name we pray. Amen. Tonight, as we get a chance to take communion as a church, this is a chance to practice what we preach This table is a place where chains are broken, where freedom is achieved not by your efforts, but by your new identity in Christ. And at Bethany, this table is not open to members or people to ascend, to meet with him because of some sort of perfection. It's it's open to anyone that's aware of their brokenness and sin, but anyone that's aware of the storms. And and when you confess your sin and approach this table, Jesus says, I am present and I want to meet with you. The good news tonight is the bread is all, or the crackers are all gluten-free, and there's cups here that are ready for you. On the night of which he's betrayed, Jesus took the the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, take it and eat. And then he took a cup, the cup of the new covenant, and he said, this is the new covenant poured out for all for forgiveness of sins. And so may we, as we approach this table, may we hunger to meet with him. May we hunger for freedom and may we be sent back into our homes teaching others what Jesus is in the midst of doing in our lives. May that be our story. Let me pray for our elements now. Lord God, thank you for your body and thank you for your blood. And As we, as we celebrate communion this evening, Lord, may you just make us aware of the freedom that you've called us towards and, and the life of freedom that you're urging us towards, that our transformation would be a witness into this world. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. The table is now open. Let's end with song.